welcome to the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of Secure Your Strategy Podcast, where your host, Chloe Mastagi, provides strategies to leaders and managers on how to repair critical issues in security and tech. We're glad you've tuned in. It's time to secure your strategy and your stakeholder approval. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hi, everyone. My name is Chloe Mistagi, and welcome to another episode of ITSP Magazine, Secure Your Strategy. And with me, I have a wonderful guest named Shankar. Shankar, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks a lot for the introduction, Chloe. So I'm Shankar. For everybody listening, I'm Shankar. I'm the CEO and founder of Assembly. Assembly, as a quick context, provides a solution for inventory, cybersecurity, and operational management for all the connected devices in the environment. Prior to Assembly, I used to run the IoT business at Symantec, where I looked at different verticals, industrial, automotive, healthcare, retail, and so on. And before that, I have a product and engineering background. I built the iPhone 3G modem, and then I have done a number of work. Uh, I've done work in a number of areas across the technology sector. Excellent. Well, let's kind of dive right into the medical IoT device situation. Um, why don't you share a little bit with the folks that, you know, you've been publishing a couple articles around it. And I think it would be great for them to get started in understanding a little bit about that space. Yeah. So if you look at where healthcare is today, um, you know, connectivity is rapidly growing. And there is a real business value for connectivity, especially when you say connectivity, connectivity of medical devices for the audience and all the IoT devices in the environment. And just for people listening, when I say device, I mean any kind of device. It could be an ultrasound, an infusion pump, a patient monitor, um, a camera, anything, right? That's in the environment. And there's business value, like I said, because these devices, if you can transmit their data directly from the device to a central server, there are regulations which require you to store patient data for three years, the operations, the procedures, so they can go back and validate things that need to be both from a patient care as well as from a billing perspective. And we have heard horror stories about billing in healthcare. So we obviously want to retain all this data and connectivity enables that, it solves the business need. But as these devices get connected, there's greater risk that's introduced. We have seen greater number of ransomware attacks in the last two, three years in healthcare than ever before in the last decade or two decades. So, and this has real patient care implications and it has real hospital operation implications. Uh, the challenge is hospitals to a large degree have to manage this on their own because uh, while there was supposed to be a very stringent regulation that came in last year that didn't pan out, that didn't pan out the way we thought it would. There was a patch act that came later, which has some regulations around manufacturers, which will require them to take care of their medical devices and security going forward. But there's a lot of legacy devices in this environment and healthcare especially do not buy devices that are cutting edge many times. They buy a slightly older devices just to make sure they are operationally being proven out. And so now hospitals are left to manage the cybersecurity and management of these devices on their own. And when you look at uh, thin operating budget, if you've been following healthcare budgets, their operating budgets are not high like a tech company. They are thinner, they're smaller. When you look at thin operating budgets, when you look at a lot of patients that need to be serviced and you look at additional responsibilities, it's a real challenge for healthcare. And so that's where we are today in healthcare. Uh, hospitals and health systems are putting the effort to move the ball along, but there are some real operational constraints we have to deal with. And so we are at a state where we are in a very critical state from a cybersecurity perspective. The regulations haven't really gone all the way. 
uh, and hospitals have to balance between their operating budgets, the cash flow constraints, and actually solving this problem as well. It's interesting that you bring up like the whole operating situation of being constrained. Have you seen like cases where it's just like basically one IT person for the entire hospital system? Yeah. I mean, I've seen half an IT person for the entire hospital system. So in fact, sometimes hospitals don't have an IT system. They have outsourced their IT to save costs. So, you know, it is it is tough, like for many hospitals. And then if you have to now burden that IT person with cybersecurity, which is its own industry in itself, and even within cybersecurity, there are so many facets. It is a challenging aspect for that person to manage. Um, so people are doing their best. I mean, uh, you know, at Assembly, we are trying to enable them by building solutions that can automate a lot of the functions, but also helping them with certain services that can make their life easier. But from a, from the hospital's perspective, yeah, it is a lot of load on one person or even half a person sometimes to take on. Is there, have you met any hospitals or perhaps regions or countries where they do better job on securing the uh, infrastructure of the hospitals in their area? So I would say, you know, healthcare is one of those where if you know, I, I usually tell this, I've been in healthcare for a long time, but if you know a hospital, you only know that hospital. You cannot generalize what happens in one hospital to a region is what I've learned. And so every hospital is different. Their network architectures, right from the network architecture to the way they operate, to what they deliver. There is some similarities, no doubt, but there is a lot of differences within hospitals. So it's hard to generalize saying that hospital in that region did a great job. So all the hospitals in the region did a great job, right? So it's very hard to make a regional statement. I would say US as a country, in terms of securing the infrastructure, are doing, I talk to customers worldwide now. US as a country has done a better job of uh, securing the infrastructure. There's still a lot more to be done, but they've still done a decent job. I would say Germany as a country have done better job at regulations than any other country in the world. And I would say there are some other regions we are investing more from a government perspective better than any other region. So I think everything has a slight nuance, uh, but that that would be a macro level statement, but there's a lot of micro level differences. in Do you think there's like a need for like a basic standard framework for every hospital to follow. But then I can also understand those that create it may not have the, the full like view of operation costs and how it's hard to find, you know, certain folks to work at certain hospitals in certain, especially like rural areas. Yeah. So I think there have been frameworks that have been published in the industry lately. They are not like mandatory standards, but there have been frameworks and guidelines that have come out which says for a large health system, this is the way you would go look at it. For a mid-sized health system, this is the way you would look at it. For a small, generally, this is what you would look at it from a cybersecurity. So a lot more work has been done by cyber practitioners in the industry itself. So that that documentation does exist. Um, and so I think the challenge is not guidelines and frameworks anymore in healthcare, at least. The problem is what gives? And I know there are certain countries, not US, where the government is spending some amount of money where they are actually telling the health system, if you show us a project plan which is meaningful and which is in a particular time frame, I will fund some percentage of it. So that's one way some governments are accelerating it. And I think there will be some acceleration in certain countries which will could overtake US in its, uh, in its progress and where they have done. And in some cases, regulations are the key. In some cases, there's a broader spend on digitization. 
So I think there's more than frameworks that are needed. And I think that is happening in some countries. So US obviously, like I said, took a step back last year, but maybe it will probably do something later. Well, you did share uh, briefly about how there's been kind of like an increase of ransomware also hitting hospitals. I know like during the pandemic, it was definitely a, a target. Um, what are, is there like a horror story or a really bad story that you think of quite often that gives you and, and pushes you to keep going forward with your passion in this area? You know, I obviously have inside information on a two or three of the ransomware attacks, detailed inside information on where it came from and what happened and, you know, the repercussions of it. Now, obviously, I can't share all of it. But generally, when I hear of it, there have been ransomware attacks where I've seen patients having diverted completely to a different hospital. And these are critical care patients and those different hospitals didn't have the equipment that they needed, maybe for an ultrasound or maybe for a mammogram or whatever it was. And then they have to be diverted to a completely net new hospital and not just a facility to a hospital. Uh, there have also been cases, especially in Europe, where it's not a direct attribution, but because the ransomware attacks on the systems went down, the patient had to be moved. They were supposed to be scheduled a surgery. Surgery didn't go as planned in the new facility because they didn't have equipment and the patient died. And this has also happened internationally and there have been reports around it. Again, it's not a direct attribution. You can't say it's because the ransomware attack, they died, but mm -hmm. it created a set of trigger conditions that effectively caused that fatality. So, um, and then there have been obvious uh, costs. Those costs, you might not, you might not think the hospital incurs the cost, but when in a hospital with a thin operating margin incurs a high cost, somebody has to then pay for it. And generally it tends out to be the patient. And if the patient doesn't pay for it, the hospital has to turn off uh, certain services which they don't consider profit-making, which could be the one that effectively saves the patient, life of a patient. So I, I, because I can't give you one specific incident because those are details I can't provide. I, these are some broad level implications that if I synthesize at an um, anonymous level, I think these are the implications I've seen for some of these ransomware attacks. And when you think about these and the implication on people and lives, I think it tells you that you are doing something that has a direct impact on patients' lives, whether the patient sees it or not, but there is a direct impact. Yeah. I remember like my first year in cybersecurity, um, someone told me that your your health records are worth way more than your social security number because it has all these details. Um, and I never, and then like the following year, I, I saw a couple talks of the biohacking village at DEF CON and having to hear that people have the ability or can have the ability to remotely control, you know, the machines working in a hospital, but also get, change your medical record. That's really scary situations. Um, and this was even before the pandemic. Do you think things have gone uh, much worse in this space when it comes to cyber attacks and the ransomware that you're seeing um, now than like, let's say, before the pandemic? Absolutely, it has. And I think going back to your earlier point first, I think, yes, medical record is super exp uh, like a super important thing. You cannot change your vitals. It is your vitals. You can go turn off your credit card in literally nowadays less than a minute. And you can go get a new SSN. Uh, the list of documents aren't too long on the social security website. So other things can be changed. Your health records cannot be. And I think attackers are realizing that. And the other thing that has happened with the pandemic is there's been increase in telehealth. 
So more people are being serviced remotely. That means more data is flowing over the wire and you have much more now than ever before that is all remote care. And so we have seen an increase in pandemic with the cost of the medical record that we discussed and the remote care um, uh, thing that has taken off, especially with pandemic. You saw a big transition in telehealth during the pandemic. That has given uh, attackers more financial incentives to go after the data um, because now there's a lot more and then there is uh, more connectivity, if I can put it that way, than there was ever before. So absolutely, I think the number of attacks, the kind of attack. Earlier in healthcare, if I go back like 12, 12 years in healthcare, any health attack that happened on a record, we used to call them unintentional attacks. They were not meant for the record. They just happened to happen there. One, because they weren't that connected. And two, because I don't think that notion that, oh, you can get something out of a record was truly in there. But I think over the last 12 years, the transition has been slowly, one, there's been greater connectivity and the last four years I've seen an acceleration. And two, I think the realization that these medical records are worth 100x or 1000x compared to a credit card in many cases has really dawned upon many um, malicious attackers. Have you heard of any like volunteering of people from like the hacker community or in InfoSec to try to volunteer their services to help hospitals in their area? Yeah, so for every like attacker, there's always uh, like there's a good and a bad attacker. Like there's every attacker, there's always somebody who's volunteering, doing pen testing or testing the defenses and trying to improve it or helping improve the program. Like we ourselves, like we help some hospitals on how do we better make make their program better? How do we provide risk reduction? So every hospital is, uh, every everyone from the local, from the attacker, individual attacker to the organizations are also trying to help the organization with the attacking skills, with their knowledge of the attacker to try and bring down the risk and make it harder. And so there is uh, there are parties on both sides. <laughs> and so this is a cat and mouse game. One side will do better, then the other side will find a way to circumvent it, and the other side will find a way to block it. So this is going to be a continuous process. I always thought like if it's like hospitals in rural parts, they're like the easier target. Cause I always assume that they'll have like less of a budget. They'll probably not have an IT person. Um, is that something you've also noticed as well? Absolutely. I think they are the weak link in the hospital ecosystem simply because the budgets are tight. I mean, if you talk about one person per hospital, like you asked me earlier, there might be one person for five hospitals <laughs> in, in those kind of systems. So there is data there as well. And remember, sometimes the rural system is still somehow connected to a bigger system. They might be an out, uh, you know, a separate facility of a bigger system. And you can actually jump from one to the other and cause greater harm as well. So there are uh, issues there. Um, I, I think that needs to be solved. And I think there are services you can provide that makes the operational job easier, but budget, budgets are still a constraint. And so there are payment plans you can create, which we have done for some of our customers on how you can manage their budget to kind of get something, but not have to spend everything right now. So there are ways to solve for it, but it is a tough, pro even tougher problem with rural hospitals for sure. Yeah. Well, if anyone is a hacker in this space that's listening to this, maybe you should, and you live in a rural area, maybe you should go volunteer some services, you know, especially like that in our school systems. Um, let's kind of shape up to, well, we talked about the past and now the present, but what about the future in this space? What are you seeing? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like I said, it, since it's a cat and mouse game, there's a continuous evolution of medical and IoT security in this space. 
I think if you looked at uh, five years, like 10 years ago, connectivity was the big deal. Like, oh, are we even going to connect these devices? Five years ago, it became clear that connectivity was going to happen. People were looking at visibility. I need to provide visibility. Uh, now the issues around vulnerability management. How do I manage these hundreds and thousands of vulnerabilities? How do I mitigate the risk? And how do I do threat detection? I think the market is going to continue to evolve. People are going to look at things beyond this in the next couple of years. How do I do better incident response services? Ransomware attacks are a real issue. We discussed that. So how do I respond? Because what if one attacker in a million attempts comes through? Then one can bring down my system in ways that I, I don't want to happen. I don't want my data to be on the web. So I do need very strong incident responses to contain the attacker and respond to the attacker and not have to worry about, am I paying a million dollars in cryptocurrency and not knowing where my data is, right? So incident response is going to be a bigger deal. Disaster recovery is going to be a bigger deal. If your attacker took all your data out, can you just shut him out or shut her out and then actually just recover your system back to its original state? Can you do that? And if you could do that, you can bring your operations back. The patient who was waiting in line may not have to then come back six months later for a surgery. You can do it now in a week. So disaster recovery and how do you, you know, manage these devices from a patching perspective? How do you actually do better compliance? How do you do some operational aspect? I think the industry is going to continue to expand its scope of problems that they are dealing with. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the industry is still going through a mature, uh, series of, uh, you know, maturity curve evolution. And on the other hand, I think as governments, like, for example, like I said, German government has done a lot of regulation. As those regulations start to take off, you'll see greater percolation of regulations across different countries. And then it might come to US, you might see greater budget government spend in some of this as they try to accelerate. Um, so I would see greater acceleration going forward because connectivity is already there. COVID accelerated the connectivity. So the next step is uh, an expansion of what they need from such services, an expansion of what the governments do from a regulatory perspective, and probably more spend in each of these areas, both from the government as well as the, um, the institutions themselves. Do you think with the rise of use of like AI, do you think that there will be a chance that we'll see greater and more sophisticated attacks in the near future? Yeah, I think AI is both an opportunity as well as a risk from a cyber perspective. Um, AI allows, like we ourselves use AI in our products, so it all uh, allows us to do discover attacks and respond to attacks and discover where the attacks could come from in ways that without AI we wouldn't be able to do. But AI in the hands of an attacker will allow you to create, uh, especially ChatGPT, if you try to use it, you can create even codes, uh, code bases using ChatGPT today. So even in the hands of a novice, you can actually do more today than you could. And the sophisticated attacker will merge their knowledge with and move even faster. So again, I think it's one of those where at the same time for the, for the defender, it provides tools that you can actually create more sophisticated defenses than you couldn't do before. So I think it's both. Uh, I think it will create more risk, but it will create more opportunity as well. And the, the second level to it is as AI is used most in the enterprise, people will try and attack the AI itself to try and leverage that to cause confusion within the health system. And you're already seeing evidence of that in social media, but you will see that in health systems and IoT as well. And that will provide its own set of challenges. And I'm sure a different set of companies will emerge that will uh, focus on protecting the AI itself from actually getting confused and uh, making more havoc than than the use they provide. So yeah, I think there's a lot more uh, threats coming, risks coming from there, but there is opportunity to use it in a way that actually does better. There's an opportunity also to protect the AI itself, which I think there'll be, a, you'll see an emergence of companies that will come there uh, 
um and some will be meaningful some will know what they're doing but overall i think there'll be another emergence there another industry that will develop there so question for you what do you think are the top 3 security concerns right now and then what are the top 3 security concerns that you would predict for in the next 10 years oh wow that i know is- that's a hard one <laughs> the top 3 security concerns right now um i think everywhere people are worried about data right now uh, i think because ransomware is such a big top of mind thing um people are worried about um, you know in general the infrastructure as well uh, so there's a lot of worry about you know i'm sending all this data but if somebody brings down my infrastructure what happens to me um and people are worried about you know it's not a technology issue but people are worried about processes like people are putting a lot of technology and still getting attacked so they're worried about where my processes are where my people is and so on so i think those are three concerns the data the infrastructure and the people and the processes uh, and obviously everybody has a different view so i'm sure you'll get five different answers with five different people going 10 years that's a very hard like 10 years is so long that i don't even know what happens in 10 but i'd probably say from a 3 to 5 year which is probably more in line technology changes in 5 years uh, double completely transforms by 3 to 5 years so i would say in 3 to 5 years um you know this ai security becomes a real concern like people use more of ai uh, and I, either that get gets um, enveloped in the broader application security or it gets um, part of its own entity i don't know but it, there is going to be greater concerns around that I think as if you take a medical and IoT broadly security and you take out those industries I think a security as a function of operations become a lot more entrenched right on people see as a data security as its own function and everything else different but I think people will see security as an operational issue and so I think that will have its own implications on uh, how does it affect operations or how does operations and security work together and I think some new areas will have to be developed around that I honestly don't know what's the number 3 in 3 years. <laughs> the mystery box just like a question mark mystery. We'll know. <laughs> we'll know that. Till <laughs> number 3. Um but I think some of these things that I mentioned for what is current will continue. Like I don't think ransomware attacks are going down as devices get more connected. Data is going to be a big concern and infrastructure is going to be a concern. But it's just going to add additional concerns which I highlighted to more. And if I think about it maybe I'll come with a third one and I will come with a third one right now I think those two top mine. What do you think are like three ways how uh hospitals can be more proactive when it comes to this especially if they have a low budget what are some three things that they can do So one is definitely you know the processes I think people are generally the weakest link um somebody clicks on a ransomware uh, an email which says click here to win $5000 it's not going to help your situation you got to <laughs> go train your people those are generally low budget things there are a lot of low training uh, low cost training uh, modules available you can take those people will be better so that's an easy way um i think um, you can there are even though you may not buy a full solution and adopt it you can buy certain limited parts of a solution so for example we allow our customers just get visibility and that visibility will allow them to get a ton of information of where their risk might lie where their risk might not lie what they can act on what they might not act on that might be a lower cost alternative rather than to deploy and we have health systems who have done that limited budget they're taking one component deployed it got enough things done some actions and when the next budget cycle comes they can take a second component for so phased wise you don't have to eat the elephant at a hole you can eat it one small chunk at a time is how i would describe it 
And number three, I think you can follow some simple best practices without any budget. So you might have half an IT administrator, but he might be able to close certain services or certain ports on your thing, which prevent external access from your network. Though that itself might protect you. And you have maybe a one firewall and you have one something. You take use that better at least. Because sometimes we see all of these things and people don't even know what it's doing. And so that's not like doing anything with it. So I think um, leveraging your existing infrastructure better is a sure shot way. And sometimes if you don't have anything, you can even turn off certain services in your cloud or in your laptop. That itself can go a long way. So leveraging your existing infrastructure, training your people a little better, and even taking some pieces of a solution uh, and implementing it, like we are done with some health systems, can actually go a long way. So even with limited budget, you can actually make progress. What are some resources that you can recommend to people that are interested in getting more into the medical devices um, and the security around them? It's a great question. Um, you know, there's been uh, no single standardized source for medical device security, unfortunately. There's a lot of papers. There's a book on medical device security um, that has come out. It's, um, it's there. I can provide the name of the authors if anybody is interested. But it's medical device security. If you search online, you'll find there's only one book, honestly. So it's medical device security. And then there are a lot of papers around it. Um, there are a lot of regulations. If you go to health and human resources, there's some, uh, you know, some uh, guidelines and publications around it, frameworks around it that you can use. Um, and I would say, I think those are two probably prominent sources that come to mind. If you follow standards like, uh, if you follow like AMI or HISAC, or HIMSS, I mean, they publish articles of Chime or why there are some industry organizations that actually provide a lot of information on this topic. So whether it's an industry organization or like a health and human resources, you can actually go get some information, HISAC, and those are forums you can get information. Or you can uh, probably find some books. If you search medical device security, you'll find a couple of books, a couple of white papers. Uh, and obviously, if you really want to go, our website actually collects all of that and puts it together in resources. So we also on assembly.com try to collate, uh, collate a lot of this and try to bring it together. So that might also have our links to other places. That's an easy way to find the other links. All right. And my last question is, what advice would you give to a CISO at this time that may have just gotten a ransomware situation? What would you tell them? They already got into a ransomware situation. Yeah, they're already in a ransomware situation. What What's one piece of advice that you could give to um, the CISOs out there that are dealing with it? Okay, if you're already in a ransomware, you got to get out of it first. That's your top priority. And if you got, I think the first thing you want to do is contain the problem. If you're a CISO, you don't want to realize that you didn't take immediate action, isolate those systems, turn off internet access, some standard stuff that you would do. Once you contain the problem, you have to find the root cause. A lot of CISOs contain the problem and then they think they've solved it, but you got to go find the root cause. And a little bit of money might require to be spent on a forensic analysis team, or going and doing using your tools to using existing tools to go find where it is where the root cause is you got to eliminate that root cause that's number two first you contain and clear out the system you find the root cause and you kind of address it and then number three after you do that you have to go back once you identify the root cause then after you get out of the ransomware you have to go back and address the root cause and understand why it happened in the first place and either it's a combination of processes training it's either people or technology that you just didn't have that could have prevented this from happening and you got to go do it. But your immediate action has to be contained. You don't want it to spread all over your network and then your challenge is 10x. And then basically you got to go mitigate it, uh, find the root cause mitigate. And after that, you got to address the root cause.
uh, and this is an entire talk i gave on an instant response and ransomware so it's like 10 steps and then i gave like a 20 30 minute talk so this is like the 2 minute version <laughs> at the highest three point from so i did good hey i mean if a caesar is in the middle of ransomware situation they don't have time right now to watch a talk but they got that 2 minutes time of advice it was in contain the problem isolate and uh, isolate to the root cause and fix it and then after that you go fix the root cause in your network excellent well thank you so much for being on here and if anyone has any questions feel free to reach out to them um and i will see you in the next episode until then everyone i'll see you soon thank you bye so bye. much <laughs> bye We hope you enjoyed this episode of Secure Your Strategy podcast with Chloe Mastagi, part of the ITSP Magazine podcast network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.